the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking on some extra help with M. Night Shyamalan's batshit nanny horror servant, gearing up for a Deutsch apocalypse in Sky's Eight Days, and travelling through the outback with Tim Minchin and a sweary 16-year-old in Upright. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that was recently described by Wavy Davy 901 as, and I quote, two bald, potty mouthed southern softies and a northern bird, brackets equally foul mouthed, from God's own country, get together to give excellent reviews of TV programs, which I think sums us up pretty accurately. Yeah. So, without further ado, let's introduce our resident northern bird, uh, Terry White. Terry, how do you feel about that moniker and how is God's own country this time of year? What? <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? How do I feel about Monica? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like Monica? That Monica? That Monica? That oh, Monica? Oh, <laughs> yes. Monica. Are you a Monica, Monica a Rachel, or a Phoebe thinking, person? When, when you said Monica, I was thinking that's a twat's way of saying uh, what? Names. <laughs> also, it's not really correct. Why? Because isn't a moniker more of an actual name as opposed to a term of description? Well, he's calling you that northern bird. I'm saying that qualifies as a name. Oh, the entire thing, what? Or, if you like, we can just call you Monica. Whatever you prefer. <laughs> like, how do I feel about Monica? What, from Friends? Have I missed something? Oh, uh, we're uh, off to a good start. Um, it's not the first time I've been labelled such a thing. A northern bird. A northern bird. Wow. I don't mind bird as a... Really? As a gendered descriptor. See, I would have thought that would have been a, a you know a, an instigator for a fuck the patriarchy monologue, and I'm quite disappointed. Why? It's it's not in any way sexualized or about objectification, or it's a endearing term. Up north, it means lovely things. What about love? What do you think about people calling you love? That's weird. Is it? That's posh. Yeah. Classic southerner. <laughs> Jeffrey Boycott. Oh, what about love? Jeffrey Boycott does that all the time, and he always calls like female people interviewing him. All right, love. Yeah, it's oh. love. Well, love is often reductive and patronizing. Yeah. Yeah. In my where I'm from, um, they say duck. Uh, but, duck, duck. But for both men and women. Yeah, that's interesting. So duck. You, you get in a bus and you go. Is it not ducks? Plural. Ducks. No, a up duck. Like, oh, I thought. Are you sure? I mean, I don't want to. Mean, are you sure? I, I don't want to northern explain to you, but are you sure it's not a up ducks? No. What so are you addressing singular, a group of people? Yeah. Singular. So if I go to you, hello, instead of hello, James, I go a up duck. Duck singular because you're one person. Boyd. Hey up duck. Yeah. Boyd. Really? See, my granddad. Right. Really? <laughs> my granddad used to call my grandma, as I recall, ducks. That's probably a southern just, thing. You think it's a yeah. southern thing? Yeah. Duck. Duck singular. It's like saying youth. It's like saying. A ute. You. Yoth, as they say where I'm from. Wow. All, right, all right, Yoth. You made that up, right? No, no, no. Like, if, if my brother will use the phrase, if he sees a friend of his in town, he'll say, all right, Yoth. And it means hello, youth. Fellow. It's like a whole different language, isn't it? Yeah, you would get the shit kicked out of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't venture past the Watford Gap. I like the thought of you actually like going to my hometown, walking around, somebody going, "Hey, I'm ducking you." Going, "Well, are you sure?" Are you I sure think you don't mean ducks? I think of it's plural. <laughs> yeah, that would end well for me. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't doubt. All right, fine. Well, joining uh, me and. Duck here is uh, my co-southern softy. Uh, though I'm not sure. Well, honestly, boy, I describe you as foul-mouthed because you regularly use the word effing, yes. which I've only ever heard people over the uh, age of 75 yeah. use. Uh, is this because you do so much live TV? Maybe, yeah, maybe it is. Although on my Arsenal podcast, I tend to use to, to say fucking and the c word. Oh, but I think it's because I get more angry on that. One. I should listen to that There's podcast no instead. C word. Yeah. Wow, yeah, been known, that sounds yeah. like a much better podcast yeah. than it's this one. It's a different me. It's a different me. <laughs> that one. <laughs> Because I'll, you know, I'll, yeah, is this Boyd's is so evil alter ego? <laughs> it is really. It's my no. It's my kind of frustrated and angry alter ego. Boyd oh. Hilton raw, yeah. uncut and uncensored. Yeah. I like, honestly can't imagine. That. Oh yeah, that really blows say, my mind. Say c now. <gasps> oh, I got shivers. So I. I got shivers. That fucking c- Jose Mourinho <laughs> joined Tottenham this week, so he's easy. In oh, football context. Oh, yeah. We don't know what you're talking about. I mean, the adult rating of this podcast got off. I know. I know. Right. This this has gone. Full off the rails, very, very early on. But sure, okay, fine. Um, shall we move on now to, you know, what sweary things you've been watching, Boyd? Yes, well, I've spent a lot of time watching the impeachment inquiry on CNN. Um, that certainly counts as high drama. This week, it is absolutely fucking brilliant viewing. And last night And full of the C words, so that's, <laughs> you know, good word. uh, My new hero is Dr. Hill. Fiona uh, Hill. Fiona Hill, who is the British... Um, uh, expert advisor 
Russian advisor to Donald Trump. She con- controversially joined his cabinet to become an advisor because she wanted to do the right thing, even though he's obviously an absolute maniac, right-wing maniac, and she's you know polit- trying, trying to be politically neutral and just she has a massive expertise on Russia. She's a historian on this and the other. And she testified, pointing out, and she single-handedly destroyed all the Republicans' talking points defending him from what he's doing. And it was extraordinary. And she's a brilliant, brilliant person character. So that was, she's my TV hero of the week, I have wow. to say. Um, so there's her. And then also, there's this show called Ladhood, which is on BBC Three. It starts today, Monday, when this goes out. Liam Williams, you know, Liam, I think you recognise him. He's a youngish, 30-ish comedian and writer and actor. He was in Back to Life. Oh. Yeah. Is he, he, is he a Yoth? He worked in the it? fish and chip Yoth. shop. A Yoth. He's a Yoth. He's a Yoth. He worked in the fish and chip shop with her. He's got yes. he's quite a distinctive style. I think he's funny. A lot of people find him. I don't know. Opinions differ. But this is an interesting show. It's a bit like The Inbetweeners, set in the 90s, with him looking back on his youth, hanging out with his mates at school, and he enters into the scenes and observes them and comments on them. It's quite an interesting idea, adapted from his Radio 4 comedy. I think it's pretty good, but... You know, give it it's a go. It's called Ladhood. I know. I knew that was going to put you off, but it's ironic. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not celebrating Ladhood. It's him looking back on his embarrassing laddishness and the attempt to be masculine and all of that when you're a teenage boy and you're in fact are a little shit. So it's it's not it's not celebrating Ladhood. It's absolutely critiquing Ladhood. It's quite hard to know that though, isn't it? Of course, uh, yeah. But and it's like calling your show Bell End. Yeah, it is a bit. Well, James, funny, funny. I was James. thinking of changing the name of the podcast, Terry, to be more descriptive, and that was what I was going to go with. So, well, if it's as kind of self-centered on you as everything else in this podcast, then absolutely, <laughs> we should call it Bell End. Unbelievable. <laughs> Right, all right, fine. What My other you... thing I want to say about oh, sorry, Ladhood, sorry, though, is the reason why, no, like, this is another thing that was gone, flew up, fell under the radar, because fucking BBC Three, because it's not a channel anymore, and I really find this irritating, annoying still, like, three years or whatever it is after. it's a brand now. It's a, but mm. the things, people don't notice them. Arriving on the internet, you know, on the iPlayer, as it does today or whatever, it's not enough. If it was on a linear channel, just showing it constantly with other good shows they've done, then I think it'll get more attention. It really annoys me. And the way, do they still carve it up into weird segments? Yeah. So there was a, like a, there was an amazing kind of prostitution documentary, which they carved up into weird, like, seven-minute mm. chunks. So actually, yeah. to watch one episode, you had to watch something like like eight separate yeah, clips, yeah. none of which I could get to load yeah. in order. It's no. horrendous. Yeah, some things they they slice up and put them kind of on their version of YouTube, if you like. Other things, you know, half an hour long. Like this show is it's, it is completely bizarre. They think they're I think they they think this is how the youth want to consume stuff, but I, I just don't think it is the case. Anyway, no, apparently the youth right want to consume things on Queeby. So yeah, you know. well, we'll see. Yeah, mm. uh, Terry, what have you been watching? Well, so last Saturday was the uh, Blackpool Strictly Come Dancing. No, 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 no. Magical. No. Just magical. No. I fully embrace Strictly this season. And Blackpool is the piece de resistance of... I mean, if anybody like came down from another planet and was like... Uh, What's kind of the real epitome of Britain at its weird best? It's Strictly Come Dancing. So in Blackpool, you've got Michelle Visage going, oh my God, it is such a thrill to be in Blackpool. It's like, you don't even know what Blackpool is. <laughs> it was amazing. I had a very good time all of Saturday night. Um, and then I've also been watching um, more of The Crown, which has actually oh, yeah. had yeah. very mixed reviews, which, and people don't, I don't necessarily like the pacing of it, I don't think, or the um, some of the writing. I still really love it. And I have to say, episode three, which is the Abafan mm. episode, will fuck you right up in a really good way. That's the official tagline for the episode. Yes. So I'm I'm really still enjoying it. Um, uh, I haven't got through the whole season yet, but I think it's great. And Josh O'Connor is a magnificent... Young man. <laughs> Yowth. Yowth. Yoth. Yoth, sorry. Yowth. I'm never going to get this. No, Yoth. ever. Yoth, like a goth, but with a yeah. Right, okay, good. You, James? Uh, I have two things I want to talk about this week. The first thing I want to talk about is... The Morning Show, which, to be fair, Terry and I have already talked about today, but we'll repeat it again for the benefit of the podcast audience. And that is, so I I got back into this because I'd I'd lapsed behind because so many things to watch. And I don't understand the negative reviews of this show. I think it is so good, and I think those two central performances are so exceptional. And 
there are points where I've had to almost pause the show to turn around to Terry and almost like punch the air and be like, that was the best monologue ever. And it's just, you know, there's a there's a scene where, where Aniston sort of faces down the board of her network, which is incredible. There's a scene where uh, Reese Witherspoon's character has a kind of job interview with a producer and the monologue she delivers is extraordinary. And then there's an even better one that takes place in a branch of Barney's while she's shopping for clothes. And just like the way this deals with the media's uh, portrayal of women, the way it deals with... Um, perception of ageing and the fact that I really love that this show could have had a very obvious all about Evie format and she'd been 25 and whatnot but she's not she's a 40 year old woman and she's the young up and comer in this and it's just it's really smart and it's so compelling and perhaps it is you know the the you know, Studio 60 slash Newsroom mm. slash Sorkinite in me mm. that loves this. But I love smart oh. people being smart and spouting incredibly smart dialogue. And there is so much of that in this. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's something about this type of show that people take against. I think people are I think it's both. Harsh. Mm. I think yeah. people I think slightly resent media set films. Because we're all that, media twats. Yeah, I think mm. people... I remember years ago, like, be, like controllers of channels saying to me, oh, you know, I've got, I've been sent three or four ideas for media, so we don't want to set anything in the media. People, you know, it's not normal people don't like that kind of thing. I'm like, really? really? Are that? you sure? I don't know. Mm. So I think there is a, a general kind of feeling that shows about rich, entitled media types <laughs> are, how much can we possibly celebrate them unless they're being really scathingly cynical about their world, which... Which kind of this show does a bit, but I feel it's trying mm. to be slightly more real, isn't it? But I love the way that you've got Aniston playing against type. Like oh, she yeah, is so... I mean, she's not like, you know, caricatured asshole, but they call her a 24-carat bitch at one point in this, which is accurate, but she's a nuanced, fully developed character. There are many, many shades to her, and I just, I really, I'm just massively enjoying the show. And I think there's, the way it plays out, like, the whole Me Too thing is almost, like, it, it, it influences the A-plot, but you see Steve Carell in this kind of recurring B-plot as he tries to deal with sort of life after the show, and there's a, a phenomenal sit-down conversation he has with Martin Short in this, uh, who's another Me Too-y type. And they're having the conversation, and it and it's, it's a bit, because up until that point, he has refused to acknowledge that he did anything wrong. And this conversation, without obviously spoiling anything, just makes, I think you, f- you first see him start to realise that he might be on the wrong side of something. And I think it, it deals with it very delicately and very, very intelligently. And I just think it's super... Well, I, th- I think you can also tell that, you know, this wasn't conceived to have a Me Too story at the heart of it originally, and it was added later. And I think... What that gave it was a contemporary, really relevant feel, but isn't driving the show, mm. which would kind of mm. date it automatically or, or make it kind of um, in some way just a hot button show. Whereas it's, it's fundamentally and structurally much more interesting that it just so happens to be dealing with this Me Too mm. thing in a really interesting way as well. What's really fascinating as well is, and I think this is true of many workplaces, but interesting within this sort of media sphere is the different power dynamics and how they all overlap. Like her as the presenter, her power, the producer, his power the head of the news division's power and how his power overlaps with the power of the guy who's the head of the whole network. And they're all sort of like pushing the boundaries of where their authority begins and ends. And even the people who seem like they're fully in charge are getting it in the neck from someone whose power outstrips theirs. And it's the ebb and flow of all that is so true to, I think, so many workplaces. The way it's not top down, like you're in charge of, you're in charge of, you're in charge of this. You know, it's all different agendas pushing in different directions. And I think it, it covers that very well. So yes, I'm enjoying the morning show a great deal and critics be damned. That's what I say. <laughs> critics be not like, damned. Not like apart critic from, critics, critics of us. this. Yes, That's critics right. of this be damned. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is The Walking Dead. And oh, God. The reason I want to talk about this is <laughs> I don't understand how we now live in a world where Boris Johnson is Prime Minister, Donald Trump is President, and Negan has become the most likeable character in The Walking Dead. Like, it's just like, what is happening? The world doesn't make sense to me anymore. But we are in this place. Negan is now the best character in the show. He is the most likeable character in the show. And this is a guy who brained someone with a barbed wire-wrapped baseball bat for no real reason. Um... But yeah, it's really funny. Like he's injected this sort of because Walking Dead does get quite earnest at times. Terry's just barely tolerating this conversation. <laughs> but I had to listen to Strictly Come Dancing, and you've got the situation where he now is doing his own thing again. I'm not going to. People are almost certainly behind on this, so I won't spoil it. But the sense of fun that he brought to that very menacing character he used to have 
he now brings to a slightly different side of that character. And it really, really works. And I think now that you've got away from that really upsetting sort of abusive power model that he used to have when he was in charge of the Saviors, I, yeah, I'm loving is it. Is he supposed to be likeable or is it just you like? No, him? no. I think this is an intentional oh, thing. Okay. It's intentional because the, the, the antagonists of the show have moved on. Right. He's no longer it. Yes. And he's essentially been, well, neutered in some certain way. But yeah, it, it, it's interesting. It has made this show strangely compelling, which it has not been in a while. So, you know, we are Negan, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Terry's face. Okay, anyway. Terry's face can only be described as nonplussed. No, <laughs> Terry is never, never going to be down with The Walking Dead, are you? No. Mind okay. your face when she was talking about Strictly was incredible. I tried to get a photo of it, oh. and, then my, and then my phone wouldn't work. I just, I can't, I can't even. Right. This episode of the Pilot TV podcast is brought to you by His Darker Materials. The podcast for, yes, you guessed it, all things His Dark Materials, available now on Spotify. As you'll recall from our review in episode 59, the BBC and HBO's adaptation of Philip Pullman's books is a phenomenal show, and His Darker Materials takes you deep below the surface to bring you a more in-depth look at the show, episode by episode. If you don't yet know your magisterium from your Egyptians or demons from your armoured bears, then this is the podcast to set you straight. Brought to you from the Cinemiles' Dave Corky and Empire's very own Helen O'Hara, this dynamic duo is joined by some storming guests, including The Wire's Lester Freeman himself, Clark Peters, who plays the Master of Jordan College on the show, and a wide assortment of other cast, crew, and famous fans as well. Uh, regardless of whether your demon's an evil monkey or an inquisitive ferret there is something on his darker materials for you so if you're a fan of the show i strongly recommend you check it out you can listen to it now exclusively on spotify and in case you're wondering my own demon is a small wolf named claude true story right on to news and i think we should return to the crown for the first news story terry do you want to take it away yeah so this is i mean Boyd, I'd be interested in your take on this um, in terms of the timing, mm. because we already have a new queen, right? So yep. it was announced yesterday that um, uh, Imelda Staunton is going to replace Olivia Coleman in the next season of The Crown, which is very exciting. Well, the season after. Season after. Yes, season <laughs> five after, and six. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. season after, um, who will be obviously the older queen. Um, but... Why announce it now? Because yeah, we're just, especially it? when maybe there's a little bit of difficulty getting traction around this season and people are kind of taking a bit longer to warm up to it than they um, arguably did with the Claire Foy version. I find it quite distracting at this point. Mm, it is weird timing. I don't know the answer to that. I think it's it's it's. I think they could feel any crown's news is good news right now, mm. and people remind reminded people of the existence of the show. Um, but the casting deals has always been slightly weird with the crown because they kind of they've kind of emerged at various gaps in time over the last couple of years. So they don't all announce it in one go. Like mm. in your, almost every casting announcement for TV and film gets done in a variety of horror reporter, you know, and it's all done fairly strategically. But mm. it doesn't seem that the case with the crown it is odd well and this was broken by the daily mail yeah of course Baz Bowen boy the legend yes. the living legend that he is so he might have genuinely eked this information out himself as a proper actual showbiz reporter mm. and they just kind of neither confirm nor deny it. yeah but yeah, I think, I mean, she's fantastic, Imelda Staunton. There are people I once saw her on stage once and all the theatre critic in front of me um, said something like, is there nothing she can do? She can't do. Is there nothing she can't do? That's the word. Is there nothing she can't do? Like, they worship her, theatre types. Mm. The Arta. The Arta. The Arta. Yeah, so yeah. And it, it makes total sense, doesn't it? It's, it's, as soon as you hear it, you're like, yeah, that's going to work. She's down with the offs. <laughs> She's definitely down with the offs, like yeah. us. It's true. Um, filming has wrapped on The Boys Season 2, which I'm very excited about. I love The Boys Season 1, and it ends on quite the ending. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, as is traditional. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Season 2. And the fact that they've wrapped it already, it feels like that all happened very quickly. Mm. So... Uh, only good things can come of this. As opposed to Boys, Russell T. Davis' Channel 4 series, which is still filming. Yeah, and, but, and has it got a new title yet? No, it's Boys with capital B-O-Y-S, I think. That's how they're separating it from the Boys. Ah, I see. All caps. Okay. All caps. Yeah. Like Mindhunter. Exactly. Boys. No one knows why Mindhunter's all caps, do they? No. It's just one of those... No, but David they're really Fincher funny things. about it. Talking of David Fincher... <laughs> Yes. Chinatown. Yeah. Yes. The TV series. <laughs> What's up with that? What is up with what that? What is up with that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I quite like the idea. No? I sense I'm just not. like, leave it be. <laughs> leave it be. 
Yeah. Are you excited, Boy James? I am. I think just David Fincher doing anything with the classic film, and I'm excited, vaguely excited. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, it's I'm David Fincher. It's TV. Yeah. I mean, Robert sure. Town writing it. Yeah, that's ex- yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Um, so yeah, no, I'm down with it. And who's going to play the young Jack Nicholson? Interesting. May, interesting. Maybe in Steve McQueen fashion, they'll just make it Jack Nicholson. I think they'll de-age. They'll de-age Jack Nicholson. I don't think well, so. it's not really like Steve McQueen. They're no. resurrecting him. Jack Nicholson isn't dead. So yeah. more in, a, more in yeah. an Irishman fashion. They'll yeah, maybe an Irishman. Maybe, maybe they will. God, that will be spectacular. Um, wow. Okay. Mm. I know what you're most excited about this week, Boyd. Yeah, go on. Line of Duty. I am really excited about Line of Duty. What's yeah. the Line of Duty news? I've missed this. Have you? Yeah. Where have you been? Where have you been? What I don't have you, know. Where have you, what like, have you been doing? He doesn't really like the internet. You're watching The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, I have. That's it. I've been... Yes. I've been, Kelly fucking McDonald. There you go. I've said As it. she is now known. Yeah. Fresh from Giri Haji. Fresh from Giri Haji, indeed, um, is going to be the guest lead in the <gasps> next series. She's great. Yeah, she, she is, is great. Great. The casting of that show, they just pick the best yeah. people. They just... Jim yeah. McCurry goes, right, get me the best person out there at the moment. But she's on a fucking roll at the moment. Because yeah. after the victim and Giri Haji, she's mm. had a really good year. Yeah. And her character is a senior investigating officer of an unsolved murder whose unconventional conduct raises suspicions <gasps> at AC-12. Yes. And Jed Mercurio said that she's going to be the most enigmatic adversary AC-12 have ever faced. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I More love her so much. I love her so much. But their filming starts early 2020. Mm. Which I think that means it could we could get it as early yeah. as you know spring summer next year. We thought that it would be delayed because they do another yeah. bodyguard first, but that has not no. proved the case. Yeah, because the scheduling of bodyguard with what's his name is is proving. Is it is it, is it him? Is he? I is think he so. Proven? Yeah, because it does feel a little bit like you do sometimes want to strike while the iron is hot, and it, I think delaying bodyguard isn't odd thing to do but I, I guess if it's fine. logistical I think then. it's fine I think people will. It's, it was, it was, it's the most popular drama of all time I think you know it could take away five years and people would still like oh my god yeah it's I, I'm thrilled I mean as much as I like Bodyguard I fucking love Line of Duty yeah, yeah. so yeah. I am very excited about this do you know what else I am, let's be honest, a bit met about. Amazon have already renewed their Lord of the Rings TV series, Unseen. So it's got got a second season order, regardless. Never mind Unseen, Unfinished. Unfinished. They've they've clearly been like, do you know what? This is going to be great. (laughs) But they've done the same thing with Witcher, haven't they? So Witcher's already been renewed for season two and no fuckers seen it. Presumably the TV execs had seen some kind of actual, you know, footage. Whereas we are still a very long way off. And Witcher's all done. You know, we obviously can't speak of anything, but it may or may not have been made available to us. I'm not sure we can, can we even you're say allowed that. To say We're that. allowed to say yeah. that. Okay. Have, you, have you watched it yet? No, I'm watching I'm it this weekend. I'm amazed you've no. had the discipline. No, because I, I really want to sit down and this is going to be a big thing for me. I'm really looking forward to it. I want to sit down, yeah. you know, light a candle, like, like it all. <laughs> get your you tissues know, ready. Draw the curtains, like make it all <laughs> nice and cosy and I'm going to watch The Witcher and it's going to be the greatest Jesus thing ever. Christ. It's going to warm up with a bit of Kenny G on the stereo. <laughs> I might. A glass of Pinot Grigio. That's it. Nice glass of wine. Perhaps some ice cream, you know, just make it really special. Some just you and the Witcher. <laughs> just me and the Witcher. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Who needs a woman? Yeah. You and, well, you and Cavill. That's together right. In me, a wig. Me. He's, in, he's in a wig, isn't he? He's like a, yeah. yeah. I don't imagine that they had him grow out like two feet of white story? hair. Did he have a story? That, was it this week that emerged his, him saying he was too fat to play James Bond? He was too see that story. He said in an interview this week somewhere that he was told by someone. A James Bond producer, God knows who, that said he was too fat to play James Bond. Henry Cavill, like the most yes. ripped thing out. There. I just, I think he's too wide. Uh, to maybe play Bond. Uh, wide, okay. Right, so, he is a bit of a okay. man mountain. Yeah, I think the width. best Bond is is felt with uh, a touch maybe. of muscle. Wiry. Daniel Craig's quite wide though, isn't he? He's too wide. Uh, Can't okay. you remember the big yeah. um, hoo ha when yes. he first got yes. cast, which was about his height and his width. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's, he's square, is what you're he's saying. He's square, and Bond is yeah, lithe, yeah. and yeah. you know, like a little bit. Could be. I a... think people get far too obsessed over what Bond, quote unquote, should be. Like it's just like, of course what does they do? Oh my do. god, yeah, forty years of it, or whatever. It's just like like someone someone made a comment the other day. Another one is well, when Bond is finally a woman, Bond doesn't need to be a woman. Women can have good roles of their own. Bond is just Bond. It's nothing exciting. Oh, nice words. It's like I bet I know what Terry's most exciting TV news is. Doctor Who! Oh, no, I was, oh. yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Did you just want to yell Doctor Who at us? New poster. Yes. That tagline is amazing. Space for all. Yeah. That was not amazing. It's Space. Uh, it's nice. Think it's about good. it. It sounds like an yeah. Ikea advert. Think about it. Yeah. Space. For all. For all. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I get it. Space. It's all so terribly clever. But all. And also, a couple of guest star announcements. Mm. Stephen Fry and Lenny Henry. I mean, both of those are amazing. Are amazing. Delbert Wilkins in space, I am there for. <laughs> of course. It's all about Delbert Wilkins to Absolutely, you. 100%. <laughs> that is crucial to the max. Maybe he might be reviving the character. Oh, can you imagine oh, they go I mean, to... An alternate dimension with Delbert Wilkins. Or deny if oh, yeah. this, this is amazing. I should say Sir Lenny Henry. Apologies. Yeah, um, Sir Lenny. Very I mean, sad. give me a poster. Give me two guest stars. That's enough to keep me going with them Daleks on the fucking suspension bridge. I am like, keep topping me up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. There are rumours. Have you face. seen? I oh know his face is that is a good face. <laughs> <laughs> there are rumours. Have you seen the online rumours that the first this first episode storyline is going to be something involving the Will, William Hart, the first Doctor? Have you heard about this? No. Yeah, I mean, it may complete maybe complete rubbish. I know you throw it, and it's not spoiled because it's literally anyone interested. With, it's, but that is a, a rumour. I think it could be complete nonsense, and that there's going to be something like a kind of a kind of rewriting of Doctor Who history, but I, which will be oh. controversial. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's making me feel a bit anxious. <laughs> Sorry, God, it makes me oh. laugh. But it could be complete bollocks. I mean, it could be 100% bollocks. Quite likely to be. Okay. Now, the thing that I thought you were going to be really excited about was the arrival of David Tennant as Dennis Nielsen. No, so I've got this... I don't know how I feel about this. So okay. the 10th Doctor, there yeah. is a Doctor Your Doctor. Link. My Doctor, the only Doctor that matters, um, is playing... Dennis Nielsen in a show also I think called Dez, which just seems inappropriate. Like you shouldn't, I, you know, you know, like people complain about Boris Johnson constantly being referred to as Boris. I don't think you should call serial killers by abbreviated first names, Mm. right? Dez. Mm. Um, so, obviously, Dennis Nielsen is the serial killer who killed a number of young boys between uh, the late 70s and early 80s. Daniel Mays is in it as, as well as a copper. Yeah. Um, like, stellar casting, I'm sure it'll be great, but, like, David Tennant, obviously, we've just seen him in Criminal. Where yeah, he where he a, plays a right, wrong and... Also bad. And actually, what a lot of people don't remember is that before Doctor Who, which was essentially his big break, the, the most kind of prominent thing he did directly before that was a drama. Do you remember this boy with um, Hermione Norris where yeah. he played a wife beater, yeah, like yeah. a incredibly it violent... It was a one-off thing, oh. um, a one-off kind of drama. Um, and it was just before Doctor Who because I can remember watching it and everyone was making a big fuss about who is this guy who's mm. going to be the 10th Doctor. And he was so evil in that and played that impeccably. And I actually think we all think of him as the Doctor, but he has got a bit of form for baddies. But Dennis Nielsen, that's... I wanted to mention that I went to a screening this week of um, it's a, of Game of Thrones, a celebration it was called, I think, at the BFI, um, hosted by Edith Bowman. And it was basically it was a plug for the DVD Blu-ray release. Which yeah, was out, was out in December. December. Mm. Um, some of the second or ninth, one of the two. Um, I think it's the second. And um, what they showed, for the first half of it was basically them screening an extra on the DVD, which was absolutely brilliant, which is they got the cast to reunite. They gathered pretty much every major person in the show and the co- and the crew and the creators for a big reunion in Northern Ireland hosted by Conan O'Brien which I never ever I don't remember reading about I think they kind of kept it secret and they didn't air it anywhere they didn't, it no just, it just, just, li- the... just made for this DVD extra of the of the release of the of the whole of the box set of the whole final season and the whole thing all in one go and it was great it's like this hour long extended chat with Conan O'Brien being really funny and all and because he's being so funny about the whole thing it's not it's not it doesn't feel like it's a, they're not being very rev- overly reverent about the whole thing they kind of celebrate in a very fun, amusing way, the whole phenomenon of Game of Thrones, and it is great. And they get back, get back people like Sean Bean comes back to talk about you know his role in the first season. It's really good, and it's almost like I'm not being paid to plug this, by the way. But I, I mean, one can like, never be I sure. I want to get indeed. I would be honest about it though. <laughs> I always feels like I would we want to get the DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, just for this thing because it was really good. Okay, I'm sold on that. I mean, I'm getting the Blu-ray anyway. But of uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I wonder whether I'm thinking of, you know, do I use the arrival of the season eight Blu-ray as an excuse to begin again from the beginning oh my God, and do, do a full Thrones well, watch also, over Christmas? Sky is showing the whole thing again anyway as well. Oh, are they? Yeah. Mm. yeah. 
So, all right, all yeah. right, good stuff. Uh, what else have we got? Legendary Television is doing a Sin City TV series. That's unexpected, but apparently this is a thing that is happening. Um, they're doing it with Robert Rodriguez, and I know no more about it. <laughs> but it's going to be uh, sort of more of those kind of weird neo-noir stories. So not a continuation of that, but I think more stories set in that world and in that style. So I assume fresh, fresh stories. There's been also a lot of queeby things mm. this week. There's always a lot of queeby things. I know, and it's annoying me because I really, really don't ever want to watch queeby ever if I have to watch it on a phone because it's just. I, I know I'm and sound you a do lot have like to. I sound a lot like old <laughs> man oh, shouting at clouds, <laughs> but it's just like it. It you know, and I know I'm going to go off on this again, but queeby feels like the most okay boomer thing that's ever happened. Like people are all oh, yeah, kids, oh they love their mobiles. We'll do a whole thing for mobiles, and then you've got all these old people saying, "Oh, this is going to be the best thing for millennials," and kids be like. Whatever, like the yoths are going to be having none of this. I just, I just don't see it. But anyway, Bill Murray and Peter Farrelly are doing a queeby comedy mm. called The Now. Um, so this is, uh, is obviously written by Peter Farrelly, and it's about the it's the story of this suicidal man named Ed Poole, Bill Murray, uh, who achieves clarity when a secret from his past has seemingly destroyed his future. He soon realizes the only thing that will make his life worth living is to forget the past, screw the future, and live in the present. And if that is named at millennials, I don't know what is. Yeah. Mm. It'll, it'll be it'll light up your phone, Terry. It'll be the best thing on your mobile. And what else? What's the other Queeby news? Oh, Queeby are going up against the haunting of Bly Manor with their own turn of the screw. So we you, talked about we this talked about this. Last this. Week. Yeah, did Terry, we? <laughs> I think you Terry brought it up. Yeah, the whole thing about because you start yeah. talking about it and oh I complained. God, this is amazing. I complained saying <laughs> yes. you should never Harry remake. James. Harry no, but James. we were talking about Bly. We were talking about Bly Manor that we was having about turn of the screw. Yeah. Yes, yes. We were talking about turns. We weren't talking about Queeby turn of the screw. We were talking we about were. no, we were oh, another turn of the screw. Yes. Well, this just proves my earlier point that there are too many like weird, unnecessary adaptations of Turn of the Screw, and I'm pretty sure we talked about because Turn of the Screw is featuring a haunting of Bly Manor, isn't it? Yeah, we. This is what we yes. talked about. Uh, yes, but okay. I'm not talking All about right, the haunting okay. of Bly Manor. I'm talking about uh, Queeby's own right. Turn of the Screw, which uh, is okay. going to be on Queeby, and therefore competing with Netflix's right, might... haunting of Bly Manor. Yeah, they're going to have a Henry James off. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Don't you we'll, try we'll, and we'll forgive you. <laughs> screw me with the turn of the whatever. No. Screw you. Yeah. Turn of the screw. All right. Fine. Let's move on. What to, is happening? Onto other Queeby news. Zac Efron oh, no. is doing a oh, show no. on Queeby as well. <laughs> paid by Queeby. Yes. Yes, boy. You are now you're the Queeby spokesperson. Yeah, you're Britbox spokesperson. <laughs> I've now become a Queeby ambassador. <laughs> as you can tell by my rant earlier, I am now on the Queeby payroll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, that is not true. Um, yeah, he's doing a thing. It's Zac Efron. Terry, would you like? Uh, did we talk about this last week? If you would like to, you know, berate me for talking about Zac Efron's Queeby contribution. Possibly not, but I probably wasn't paying attention, so you'd, you'd have to tell me, James. <laughs> that seems fair. Did you the, the big, the brilliant costume news about um, Bill Clinton? Yeah, you know, you know, in American Crime Story impeachment. Yeah. Do you need to know? Do you see? Do you want? Oh, this is good. I'm excited about this. So this part, both of you. Bill part. Clinton's being played by Bill Clinton. No. Do you know who's playing Bill Clinton in American Crime Story impeachment from the team that gave us American Crime Story, O.J. Simpson, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. We know that um, Beanie Feldstein is Monica Lewinsky. Yes. Sarah Paulson is Linda Tripp. Who can you guess which major actor is going to play Bill Clinton? This is brilliant. I was hoping this might happen. I've got no I, idea. Well, my clue is you never get in a fucking million years. Massively unlikely. Yeah. Brad Pitt. No. Colin Farrell. No, you saw. Oh, actually, getting quite close. Ooh. Ooh. I would say. Killian <laughs> uh, Murphy. No. Oh, what's oh, the. Oh, you might get it. Oh, um, <laughs> Gerald Butler. No. Oh. Um, oh, you got quite close. The real. Here's another clue. He was in a fucking terrible film recently. That doesn't that matter. Doesn't now. <gasps> terrible. Gerard Butler. No. Well, yeah. No. In an act- action film as well. A terrible action film. It's not Gerard Butler. Will Smith. Really close. <laughs> in that film. <laughs> oh, who else no. was in that film? Clive Owen. Oh, this is like the most exciting game show right. I've ever been part of. <laughs> was that? Clive fucking Owen is playing Bill Clinton. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that weird? That is weird. And makes me very much want to watch that. I've not yet watched a single American crime story. I didn't you watch idiot. Versace and I didn't watch O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson is one of my favourite things of recent years. It's brilliant. That, not him. The, the, the <laughs> show. Wow. Oh boy, that's controversial. Sorry. <laughs> the show. Yeah. Can I just make a clarification? 
Um, <laughs> For legal reasons. <laughs> no, Boyd is the, not a fan of O.J. Simpson. The David Tennant show was Secret Smile. Oh, was it? Which was with a woman who looks like Hermione Norris, uh, but the Hermione <laughs> Norris domestic <laughs> violence drama was starring Mark Strong, not David Tennant. Oh, uh, right. Yes. Right. It's going to yes. be fascinating to work out how I'm going to keep that in when we cut <laughs> yeah, out the Secret Smile bit earlier on. But sure. Okay. We'll figure that out. Um... Uh, what else have we got? Netflix have picked up a sequel to Vikings. Oh, yeah. So Vikings, <laughs> so you can, oh, you like, but you're going to be watching it next week. Uh, Vikings, which is a History Channel uh, show, and Netflix are, are picking up a, a sequel to the show, uh, which will take place a hundred years later. Mm. Anyway, yeah. um, so is, has anyone got any more news, or are we going to end on that particular bombshell? <laughs> Maybe end on the uh, right on the Clive news. That is it for news. <laughs> now for reviews, and we have quite the selection of things this week. First of which is Servant. This is the absolutely demented half-hour horror series directed by M. Night Shyamalan and written by Tony Bazgallop. Uh, this stars Toby Kell and Lauren Ambrose as a well-to-do Philadelphia couple who hire a nanny to look after their infant son. Played by Nell Tiger Free, this nanny is quiet, earnest, devoutly religious, and very, very odd. Uh, supernatural occurrences aren't far away, which it feels like a standard horror setup, doesn't it, really? Except for the weird part of this show. And I'm not going to... I feel like, do we say what this thing is? It's in the trailers for the show. They give it away. It's in the pictures. Mm. It's in the pictures. They and give all, it away. Everyone's being so this isn't about it. everyone. So, so this isn't a but spoiler. Maybe a spoiler because, but I, I, I think what I would say is. If you if you don't read anything about it, yeah. the scene in episode one, halfway through that reveals this thing we're about to talk yeah. about is so brilliant. Yeah, and I loved it so much because I watched this before I knew anything about it. Mm. I, I had to rewind it immediately. And go, did that just happen? Yeah. I think it's such a coup de TV. Yeah, that I agree I with think you. We should watch it without knowing. All right, we are going. So here's the it. caveat: we are about to review <laughs> Servant. If you would like to go into Servant completely sight unseen and not know anything there is to know about it, then in the description to this podcast, I will put the time codes for the Servant review. You can skip ahead to the next review. Uh, if, however, you have watched the trailers or you simply don't care, uh, we will talk about this one plot because the whole show is predicated on this thing and we can't really review it otherwise. Okay. Still with us? <laughs> We're pressing on. Okay, fine. So, the thing is that the baby is dead. <laughs> the baby died some weeks ago and has been replaced by a therapy doll to help the mother cope with the grief. Now, when I first saw this, I thought we had an American sniper situation. I was like, oh my yeah. God, is this a previs yeah. or have they got a really terrible budget for this show? Because that looks nothing fucking like a real baby. But it's actually supposed to be a doll. But it's really, really weird. Really weird, isn't it, Terry? Well, we should say it's a reborn doll and this is an actual thing. I'm sorry, a what? So they're called mm. reborns and the episode is called Reborn and these dolls are reborn dolls that you can buy and have them made in the image of an actual baby. And she's been recommended this by a therapist. It's kind of established in this. Um, who, you're not quite sure how professional this therapist is. Her husband isn't really convinced. Um, I mean, this is incredible. And I have to say, like, hats off to Apple because... Launching with no archive, with no massive back catalogue, your new original shows have to be fucking top drawer for people to pay their four ninety nine subscription or not if they get it via their paid for Apple device. Um, and somebody worked out, I think this equals like 99p of your subscription or something at the moment. It is the best 99p you'll ever spend. Even Just this in the morning show absolutely justifies. And Whatever. Um, so, so but, I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's classic... M. Night. It opens and there is um, spooky, screechy strings um, on the score. It's raining, obviously. Um, when the nanny first enters, Leanne, she's wearing ugly shoes. And I always think in horror, all the spooky women wear ugly <laughs> ass shoes. Like, that is a thing. Um, I just think everybody in this is brilliant, especially um, Lauren Ambrose, who obviously plays the grieving mother, who is just... <laughs> There are some bits in this where you can see how highly kind of strong and tense and struggling she is. There's a first conversation with the nanny at, a, at the table and she, she just is absolutely remarkable in that scene. Toby Kebbell, <laughs> who, Black Mirror, Kongskull Island, but more importantly, Dead Man's Shoes. Mm. James? Yes. <laughs> the, Dead Man's Ugly as, Shoes. As <laughs> Dead Man's Ugly Shoes. He's amazing. It's the dad who's really struggling to, to know how best to, like, 
um, comfort his wife and help her through and where the line is between what's normal and what's not. And obviously, the more they're confused about what's normal and what's not, the more we are confused as well. From a stylistic perspective, it's absolutely fucking beautiful. The cinematographer, Mike Gaiulakis, um, has worked with M. Night a lot, has worked with Jordan Peele, did It Follows Us, You Can Tell. And, it, you know, it's all that kind of classic um, M. Night stuff of playing with perspectives, sharp edits, beautiful overhead shots. It's absolutely gorgeous, but... It is nuts, right? It is absolutely nuts. Oh, my God, nuts. yeah. Mm, it is yeah. absolutely brilliantly nuts. I've watched two episodes. Um, the first one is actually kind of felt more nuts, and I think that's because you're... you. And I hadn't read any of that mm. stuff The either. baby thing knocks you mm. six. It completely knocks you... Because you think it's going to be kind of your standard horror, and then once you've established that's what's going on, it completely fucks you up. Um so I loved this, absolutely loved every minute of it. I think it's a single camera setup. The whole way it's shot is just absolutely um, impeccable. And watch it, watch it. It's really, really good. It, get, it. it gets increasingly now, boy, I think you've seen more than I have. So I've seen three, and like the second one is, the second one feels more horror. The first one's sort of establishing and crazy. The second one feels more like the horror elements Less come to weird. the fore. And the third one, it steps up a notch as well. And it likes to wrong foot you at certain points. I'm going to tread very, very carefully around this because I don't want to drop any spoilers beyond the one that we've been allowed to drop. Um, but the third one is just called Eel. And there's a scene that... The reason why it is named Eel is a scene that I don't think anyone's going to forget in a hurry. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but it does. It's really, really compelling. And as the plot unfurls and it becomes more sinister and creepy, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's quite a thing. And exactly as you said, I think I think what Apple have done with these shows is none of these things, as we said, are what you expect. And this is another one where they've really done something bold and original. And uh, yeah, hats off to it. I think this is, this is well worth seeing. And at half an hour an episode, it's pleasing. Yeah. Short as well. But they've also done it like TV. It's not like, I think sometimes with these platforms, it can feel like it's a film that's just been carved up into pieces. Yeah. This doesn't feel like mm. that. It feels episodic. And it actually made me think, oh, I wish he was making film films like this. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Actually, it's so yeah. good that you go, yeah. wow. Like, I, yeah, it's the I, best thing M. Night's done in years. And it mm. reminded me, because I, I, I was thinking that, because so it's written, as you say, written by Tony Bazgallo, who I bansheed, you remember, What Remains was his BBC yeah. one who'd done it with um, with Russell Tovey, etc. And was, I loved, and I, people should, if they can find it, go back and watch it, it was great. I think he's a really clever, smart, thriller genre writer and just brilliant with character. And the combination of his writing and M. Night's direction mm. is phenomenal. Mm. And it just reminds you, visually, it is so... He has this kind of sleek, gliding camera that reminded me of, like, back to the early days of... I think, think about The Sixth Sense, because people, all people remember about The Sixth Sense is the twist. Mm. But it was beautifully made. And those his those early... Yeah, I mean, the slidey his, camera. Yeah. I love the slidey camera. He's very, he has a kind of like Spielberg yeah. way of, of, of visualising intensity on screen, which I think is so brilliant. It almost feels like he knows how to do that. And I think in recent times, he, you know, obviously his, his stuff feels more flawed. But this feels absolutely perfectly mm. a perfect combination of the writing and the direction he's only directed two episodes but everyone else he's clearly established a style for it because all the other episodes kind of follow on with a similarly intense kind of hyper all the noises of so he's him being a chef he's a kind of high end kind of almost like not a chef in a restaurant he creates dishes for rich, rich people. people and so he's constantly chopping up animals <laughs> and the eel episode as you say there's another episode called haggis which is all with him <laughs> chopping up all the elements in the fucking haggis he he also utilises some very interesting um, foodstuffs, that's all I'll say, that are so creepy. And the way they showed the food being prepared is so brilliantly creepy and, and fantastic. She is phenomenal and just playing this kind of uptight but yet real person who's obviously going through hot, uh, the ultimate trauma and they keep off telling us what's happened to this baby. So that's a mystery that is being going to be eked out and eked out and eked out. And at the same time, you're like, well, what's what's the nanny? What's her story? Mm. There's, they load it up, brilliantly load it up with multiple mysteries. And I think it's brilliantly... Uh, Toby Cobble's never been better. He's mm. a prick. I mean, he's a massive prick mm. and he gets more... Yeah, the the Bellend factor is yeah, quite high He on gets this even show. more of a prick later on and then he, uh, his brother-in-law... Rupert Grint. Uh, Rupert Grint. Mm. Again, never been better. He's like this grizzled, druggy... Mm. Yeah. You know, like totally could not be more different from what we used to seeing him doing. It, I think this is 
I'm, you know, I'm saying it's definitely my favourite thing on Apple TV, and I like yeah. all the other stuff. But it's it's got it's got that kind of what if you know the thing that was on Netflix with um, yes Renee Zellweger. Yes. It's got that pulpy and yet beautifully made quality. I think this is better. This is even more addictive and gripping and compelling. I've watched six episodes and I can't wait to watch the final four. It's so addictive that I think it is it is fucking genius. This show. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like horror thriller, creepy, yeah. but and yet not. I think it's supernatural, maybe not supernatural. And it's Who pulpy knows? and accessible as oh, well. And it's so mm. well structured, as you say. Each episode has its own mm. structure and format, mm. and has its own kind of mini story within the larger story. It's incredible. But you're right, and the, the supernatural thing's an interesting one because because it's it's we're still not clear. Certainly, from what I've seen, whether it's supernatural no, or not. And yeah. they, there's always a thing where is it supernatural? Isn't it? There's an explanation for everything, mm. and it's up to you to kind of where you fall on that particular issue I'm sure that it will resolve one way or the other as it goes well, on well I don't but... know if it will that's mm. mm. all I'd say interesting and whose perspective you trust right yeah. and it, because there are yes. moments where he seems completely out on a limb and everybody else in the house is kind of yeah. you know and, and the way they don't show you anything misleading but they also kind of you, yeah. you end up having to choose who you believe in yeah. that moment and it's all contradictory right. and, and it's not... so cleverly scripted there are lines yeah. so that people say that you think oh that's what that means and you think it's a big twist an explanation and, and then and they'll follow up in the next episode and you're like oh I see that's what he meant and it's so clever honestly it's, yeah. it's there's a scene I can't, I'll stop banging on about it. there's a scene in episode 6 this is not a spoiler where they have a kind of dinner they gather around for a dinner in the big Philadelphia mansion that's another thing the, the setting the interiors are fucking lush mm. aren't they yeah. this lavish it, but claustrophobic and, yeah. and dark yeah. and his use of colour I mean Incredible, I don't think I've yeah. seen as kind of intelligent use of colour since the sixth sense actually yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the tones he's using very very deliberately especially yeah. in that house yes. which is oppressive yeah. but also gorgeous and yeah. there's, there's definitely something about capitalism in there I haven't quite worked oh, it out yet yeah. but... and celebrity she's a famous yeah. local famous uh, news news reporter anyway there's a scene where they all gather around for a dinner and there's for what, no good reason there's a purple balloon in the middle of the table and it obscures the faces of Circo it's so brilliant and I'm like this is just fucking incredible like there are just things about it that you've just never seen before that, so even working within the genre it's a very genre piece mm. but it's so original at the same time that's a massive trick to pull off I think Wow. That is Servant, and that drops on Apple TV Plus from Thursday, November the 28th. I don't know how many will drop, but the first thing... I think the first Because it's unpredictable. Yeah, it's normally they drop a few, and then they eat them out. So we'll see what happens. Right, next up we have eight days, or rather, acht Tage, for this is a German language show. Sorry, German listeners, I apologize profusely <laughs> for that. Uh, but it is a German language show, and this one sees an asteroid and a terminal collision with Earth on a trajectory that will see it slam into our little blue planet in a week and a day, which as you would imagine, turns everyone on Earth into massive bellends uh, because they only have eight days left to live, so all fucking hell breaks loose. Uh, Boyd, was this the end of the world to you? Um, I was really, I was impressed. So um, I was told about this ages ago. Someone at Sky said, oh, by the way, there's this German show about the end of the world and you're going to think, oh, what, and why should I watch that? But actually, it's been a big hit in Germany, massive, loads of awards, and, you know, you should actually have a watch. So I did. And sure enough, I, th- I think it is really impressive. It's like the anti-Armageddon. Mm. It's like, if you think of Armageddon as this slushy, over-the-top, ridiculous American thing about the end of the world with an asteroid coming to Earth, how are we going to sort that out? This is like... What would what would he be like for real? And I think co- the whole thing is like trying to make us feel what would happen if actually there was an asteroid heading for Earth in eight years. What would how would people behave? What would it lead to in terms of like geopolitically people invading each other's borders, people closing borders because they think they've got to try and somehow focus on the few countries in the world that are not are somehow going to escape this fucking uh, asteroid coming to Earth. The very first scene is a family in a car driving through the forest. Mm. And they're, they're listening to the radio. I thought it was a really clever bit of exposition. So without having to establish the premise, within seconds, you know what's happening, kind of. They've said the American attempt to blow up the asteroid, a la Armageddon, didn't work, which I thought was a joke yeah. about Armageddon, <laughs> in my opinion. And from then on, it's really dark. It's really edgy. There's, there are scenes of kind of sexual assault, which I thought were very kind mm. of close to the edge. But I thought it was valid to, 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 to depict that because within the context of this story and what, what, this, what this extreme situation people to and their kind of inherit their inbuilt behavior particularly there's a lot of stuff about men and masculinity and all of that coming out unleashed if you like in this place where there's nothing to live for so you might as well do what the fuck you want to do i think it's a really interesting idea and it goes to really weird interesting places of like cults there's like a cult thing that happens there's like a new messiah a new christ arises and it just deals with the whole 
idea of what would happen if the world's going to end in a really believable way. Mm, I good. thought so too. Terry? I mean, unrelentingly so anxiety. Oh, yes. I mm. mean, yes. Christ, I don't think I exhaled for like the entire hour or whatever of the show. I loved this. And James, you and I often talk about the fact that, you know, um, uh, subtitle shows with ex- with kind of um, attention spans that you and I have are sometimes quite challenging. You don't even notice. And people have compared this to Dark. Um, I actually pre- way preferred it mm. to Dark, I have to say. As you said, it's really interesting because there are no heroes in this. There are no kind of... The setup isn't who's going to save the planet. There is no saving it. There will probably be something left at the end because this is a asteroid that is probably meteor sorry that's going to um wipe out europe essentially and the only safe places are russia and america which made me laugh um uh, and would probably happen um but yeah it's it's it asks what really matters in the end and what happens when society breaks down because rules are there to keep people in place but who needs rules when you're all going to die anyway um Obviously, that's incredibly nihilistic. But however, you know, you've got, and it is an ensemble piece and you've got these kind of distinct stories being told. There's an expectant parent as well as the family. There's a a weird thing with a woman in a bunker, um, which you don't really get to the heart of in the first episode. Um, But what happens to all these normal people and what what would you do to survive? What would you sacrifice? What lengths would you go to? Um, It's incredibly grim. It's so grim. It's really unrelenting. But the pacing of it is, I mean, it's quite breathless, Mm. um, but I really love that. And it's a character-driven piece. So often in these things, it's not a character-driven piece. It's it's about the action, it's about the drama, and it's about who's going to save the day and all of that. This is a kind of granular character piece about what happens to normal people if this ever happened on Earth, which doesn't necessarily fill you with the most hope because we're essentially all going to be fucked. But that aside, I just thought this was great. Um, and I'm going to be watching some more and enjoying the nihilism. It is relentlessly bleak. It Interesting to me, what I thought it did was it showed... I always enjoyed early Walking Dead. Yes, I'm back to this again. Because it showed you how, how flexible morality becomes mm. when the strictures of society and the laws that we live by and that govern our actions no longer apply. But actually, I thought this covered it in a much more intense way because it shows how rapidly it all just evaporates and how, you know... Even on a sort of microscopic scale, when it comes to, you know, not even, I'm not even talking about the way that the police deal with the criminals, or obviously that's portrayed in this as well, but on an individual level, like two strangers meeting, like the assault that Boyd's talking about, you know, and how they realise rules no longer matter and you can just do whatever the fuck you want. And it's really, really upsetting and really depressing. Uh, and it's something I think you could see you all too easily see how that could happen or how that would happen. I think the fact that it is those eight days really intensifies this and makes it much more brutal than I've seen portrayed elsewhere. But all the performances are great. Some of the sequences are maddening uh, because you like think, what are you doing? But like in in a completely believable way. Uh, Yeah, I I really, really did like it. Whether I will press on with it remains to be seen just because it is so so bleak and I feel that I have enough of that at the moment just watching the news so I don't think I necessarily need this in my life but it is very 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 good and if you are in the mood for some incredibly depressing (laughs) Germanic post-apocalyptic drama then this is your bag this is uh, eight days apocalyptic isn't it well, I like to nitpick. Though. Yeah, okay. Sorry, boys. Yeah. Yeah. Apocalypse explained to me there. Yes, it's pre-apocalyptic. What's the German for apocalypse? Anyone? It's got to be apocalypse. De-apocalypse. Yeah, be. Das apocalypse. Anyway, uh, so Acht Tage, or Eight Days, debuts on Sky Atlantic and probably now TV on Tuesday, November the 26th at 9pm. Uh, I think it's 10. I have nine, Boyd. Okay. I have nine. Well, anyway, the whole thing will be available as well as a box set. So the whole thing will drop, all eight days worth of it will drop. So you can immerse yourself in the grimness. Yeah. It's like, however, presumably it's eight episodes. Yes. Yeah. Eight (laughs) hours of misery at at either nine or 10 p.m., depending on, you know, who's right. Finally this week, we have another Sky show. This is Upright. This is another eight-part miniseries. This one starring, and I quote, weird Chewbacca guy, Tim Minchin, as Lucky Flynn, a man undertaking a road trip across Australia to see his dying mum, but who picks up an annoying, sweary 16-year-old co-pilot in the form of Millie Alcock along the way. Terry, were you upright or bowled over? What? <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I'm making this up as I go along. I, th- I thought this was... <laughs> Had its moments. <laughs> um, 
so as you say, the, the premise is that in its Tim Minchin, he co-wrote it um, with Chris Taylor. And it's about this road trip across the Australian outback, essentially. I think he said it was inspired by the fact he'd kind of been away from Australia for a while. He'd lived in LA, I think, for some hateful year that he greatly didn't enjoy. And this is kind of, in some respects, his love letter to Australia. He's got to ostensibly get a piano from one side of Australia to the other. His mum is dying, it it turns out. Um, But you don't really know any of this at the beginning. So there's there's this hilarious bit where he's in the car and he's driving and that's where it kind of opens. Um, and he's getting these text messages through and you don't know who it's from. You don't know what kind of mission he's on and why. And it's like, you know, time's running out. Do not duck this up because it's autocorrected instead of fuck. Um, And they're they're kind of, the the humour is quite weird and quite gentle. It picks up when he picks her up. Um, She is brilliant, Millie Alcock, um, who is really sweary and really funny and really sharp um i think she's by far the most exciting thing about this um and this first episode they're kind of you know they meet and it and they kind of it's clear they're going to go on this road trip together that's where you end up by the end of the first episode some of the scripts really good there are really um clever funny lines but i don't know i'm still kind of on the fence a little bit about how much I actually loved this. Joss Whedon weirdly tweeted saying this was his favourite comedy since oh, wow. Fleabag. I mean, that's excessive, but it is good. That's <laughs> what he did. He said, um, favourite show since Fleabag. I don't say I don't say that lightly. Wow. Um, all the laugh cry. The cast is good. These people are fucked up. Cry an awkward amount. Like there's brilliant bits of, and it does what he does show with Fleabag and the likes of Fleabag is just weird, relatable, awkward bits of dialogue. They're mm. in a hospital at one point and there's a guy with a, a opening a, t- a tin of lager who's clearly like, you know, um, he's either homeless or he's down on his luck in some way and there's really really small pieces of hilarious dialogue with characters like him um, it's not kind of a laugh out loud comedy and I don't think it's meant to be it's meant to be darker than that and it does take a really interesting tonal shift towards the end there's kind of a flashback which starts to kind of suggest that there's much more going on here than just this kind of unknown road trip and that there's something more going on with his family and with his past um and that's kind of where it ends so it ends on quite a but by the end I was like okay now I'm much more interested but Mm. I wasn't I don't I wasn't bold over to answer your original question Boyd were you bold I I liked it a lot more than I thought I would yeah because and it's it's not what I was expecting it's definitely much less comedic Mm. than, than more dramatic not trying to be funny particularly and I think he's I was read, read interviews with him after I'd watched it, you know, and he he was at quite a pains to point out that comedy he doesn't feel in one interview, so he didn't feel comedy has ever been his natural kind of genre in a which way, is which is weird. Comedian, he's a comedian, um, but he talks about how it, it, for him it's like. It, it was a conduit to talking about things that interest him, big ideas. There are big ideas in this about fate, about, you know, mm. accident, one thing leading to another. Even There are even discussions, kind of philosophical discussions. Yes. You sit down and talk yeah. about stuff. Why does one thing happen with a seemingly million-to-one chance, which is very him. That's always been... I mean, I have seen him live years ago, and he was talking about that stuff then, you know, in, in his show. So it's definitely like his chance to express himself and to explore a kind of atmosphere and a way of thinking via the genre of a road trip of a kind of road movie and the fact that it's everyone's going to expect it to be really funny I think it, you just have to make it clear that it's not and it's, <laughs> I don't think it's trying to be that but it isn't I think it's not funny everybody it's not funny it's not funny <laughs> but it is funny it's just is it's it just not I th- is it though no uh, I thought so this this didn't I, I, mean, I say this. It. yeah it didn't make me laugh in, but I was amused it's, all okay, the way through fine. that's different it's really amusing yeah, yeah I'd go with that but I don't think it's not found, not laugh out loud but funny. that I think is why I like it like, right because you don't to find anything funny no. so it's perfect so this is perfect for me but like she swears beautifully oh, which yeah. I always she's find great. entertaining says she's and brilliant. she's so much fun and she's a real live wire and just there's a brilliant line in it where she's a like, real a, live wire no but in that she's, she's just you never know what she's going to do from I one know. second to the next and like the bit where she turns to me and goes what's a cellist and that actually genuinely did make me that laugh line out loud made me yeah, that, that was, and, like, it, and it shouldn't like that <laughs> no, line on paper <laughs> yeah. she what's goes a what's a cellist and he goes somebody who plays a cello and it doesn't sound funny but in that moment in the car that whole spiel about ELO, I liked that whole yes. thing. Yeah. yeah, his yeah. knowledge of ELO was, was very funny. Um, 
Uh, yeah, it is. It is really good, even though it's not. Yeah, so I, I'm really enjoyed it, even though it's not. I think this is something I might. I might press on with actually just because I'm curious to see where it goes and I had no time for this when it started I really didn't want to watch it I know I was like, oh this is good <laughs> like you know yeah so so this is an unexpected treat I think I'm they saying. know what they're doing because this also Frayed was that other um, Australian show that is set a lot set in Australia which is really good as well yeah. and I think these Sky Australian co-productions I think they I think they're kind of in, they're both in a kind of quirky not what you're expecting mode yeah also, what immediately made me like her character in this, the 16-year-old, I thought, all right, I like her, when he can't work out how to get his piano from mm. a trailer onto her thing. And she's like, dig a hole, thereby lowering the back of the truck. And I'm yeah. like, I would never have thought to do that. You're a genius. <laughs> so I was sold on it for that. Well, that is Upright, which starts on Sky Atlantic and Now TV on Thursday, November 28th. And this one, I'm pretty sure, is at 10 p.m., Boyd. Yes. And so if this I is checked, at 10 p.m. By the way, I checked, and the other one was definitely 10 p.m. So, right, okay, so the, the other one's 10 p.m. and yes. this one's 10 p.m. and yes. I was wrong. That's yes. what we're saying. Yes. Fine, fine. Of course. Okay, that was upright. November 28th, 10 p.m. Yeah. Also out this week, which I didn't see. Oh, here we and go. Boyd, this is the thing you're claiming yes, I've missed. Go on. Boyd clearly didn't see this either, is The Rook. Now, The Rook starts on Stars Play, also on Thursday, November 28th. And this is something they said in the, in the States earlier this year and lo- had lots of positive buzz around it. Mm. So I'm very disappointed, Boyd, that both you and I managed to miss this one. So this is... Um, it's based on a novel by Daniel O'Malley and it's a, a supernatural drama that has oh, Emma Greenwell wake up in London surrounded by dead bodies and no memory of who she is and it involves a kind of a supernatural agency and it's the most me show ever <laughs> it's right on my alley and yet and yet it slipped through the cracks and I haven't seen it but I believe it's supposed to be good so if if you like me are enamoured with supernatural events and London then The Rook starts on Thursday November 28th and you might want to look at that as well Boyd and I can here's a spoiler. Boyd and Terry, imagine they reviewed it. I said it's great. They both said it's rubbish. Agree with me. Next, so pick of the week. Seventh. Seventh? Seventh. Yes. Seventh. Yes. Seventh. Seventh indeed is the pick of the week. Right, before we depart, it is time finally for the Banshee segment where we take an old classic or completely obscure show and recommend it for your viewing pleasure. Boyd, would you like to begin? Okay, mine isn't that old. Um, but it doesn't need to be that old. No, it's not old. It's, it, we actually went out in 2017. It was the it was um, a series called Relic. Do you remember this show? So it's, uh, partly I was thinking of show things that um, I, I was reminded of it because it's Harry and Jack Williams' creation of Two Brothers Pictures Space who produced Fleabag and who wrote um, Missing. They're very talented, very clever writers. This was the one that got away a bit. This So it's Relic, Killer Backwards, and this was Told Backwards. So it's all about a serial killer investigation. I'm liking your expression, which is I've never heard of this fucking thing, which is exactly why I picked it. That's good. Um, it was it starred Richard Dormer of Game of Thrones fame as a really over-the-top detective chief inspector, Gabriel Markham, Markham, investigating a serial killer who attacks victims using acid, which is really mm. nasty and horrible. There are really nasty, horrible scenes in it, by the way. It's quite violent. It was on BBC, and um, it kind of went out at the same time as another Harry Jack Williams show went on ITV. So they had this weird situation where two of their shows went out exactly the same time. I think it was on a Sunday night at nine o'clock. But the whole thing, it literally rewinds. So it starts at the at the end of the arrest of the of the perpetrator at the end of the first episode. And they rewind and it has rewindy kind of like imagery. What, like lines? And it'll go, yeah, it'll go like 10 minutes previously. And it keeps happening all the way through the six-part series. It's really odd. A lot of people massively took against it because they found the whole thing, the gimmick, absolutely irritating. And it kind of, but I quite enjoyed it. It is quite weird and quite bold and spectacular. But the like- whole thing goes backwards Relic. It sounds a bit like Irreversible. I was yeah. going to say like Irreversible, yeah, like irreversible but without mm. the horror. But without the horror. Okay. Um, all right, fine. Thanks. Well, yes, good. I've uh, reached your fine. You've reached my fine. Um, so I've spoken about My Banshee before, but it's never... Oh, hold on. No, no, I've spoken about oh, it before, okay. but I've never given it the full Banshee. Oh, so this okay. week, I want to give a big up to Dennis Kelly's Utopia, oh. which I have threatened to do in the past. And I think this is something everyone should have seen, and I believe far too few people have. Uh, so this ran for two seasons from 2013 to 2014 on Channel 4, uh, and it starred Adil Akhtar, Nathan Stewart-Jarrett, Alexandra Roach, and Fiona O'Shaughnessy. Um, it's a really weird show. It's about uh, a comic called The Utopia 
experiments that's rumoured to contain sort of Nostradamus-like predictions. And there's an underground sequel to this comic and there's a manuscript circulating and people are willing to kill for it. And that's the basic setup. So you have this group of misfit characters, including Actars, who's called Wilson Wilson. Uh, there's a student, there's an IT consultant, and they all go on the run because they are connected via this internet chat room to this underground manuscript. And they're being pursued by a pair of genuinely chilling killers played by Neil Maskell and Paul Higgins, who have a tendency to torture people, asking one particular question, where is Jessica Hyde? Uh, and there's a there's a really nasty sequence in this involving a spoon, some sand, chilies, and bleach, which is really, really horrible, but also played... Again, it's not played exactly for laughs, but it's heightened in an almost comedic way. And because the subject matter is so grim, it makes it really disconcerting. Um, it gets increasingly mental as it goes on. You get There's a killer virus, eugenics, John Noble, uh, and all sorts of stuff. But while the plot is really, really good, I think it's this kind of the style of the show that sets it apart. So uh, it's shot in this stunningly vivid kind of technicolor, oversaturated world where the colors really jump out and sort of punch at you. Uh, and there's a score by Christabel Tapia de Beer, which is really, again, really strange and only sound, it sort of amplifies the, the sort of fairy tale feel, feel of the whole thing I love the score of this absolutely love it I got the soundtrack um, it was such a shame this got cancelled by Channel 4 and they put out this absolutely bullshit statement when they cancelled about oh this show is great it's got a cult following blah 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 we've got to make room for new dramas fuck you renew it for a third season Whoa. I am not happy I was really really mortified when they cancelled this because it was that good um because it was bold, it was demented, it was like fresh. It was, I mean, it was fantastic. Um, and HBO were making a mm. US adaptation of this with David Fincher and Gillian Flynn, which we've talked about on this very yes. podcast. But that didn't happen. They had a big falling out over, I think Rooney Mara was going to play Jessica Hyde in that. But there was there were budget arguments. And they couldn't decide on how much it was going to cost. So that got tanked. But, but Amazon snapped up the rights and are pressing ahead with a version of this. I think they've ordered eight or nine episodes. Uh, and Gillian Flynn is still involved. So while I worry this won't be as quirky as the original... I am interested to see it. But you, you can pick up the only two seasons or series of the UK version for £6. Now, Terry, what do you think about the Banshee that you now clearly just listened to in with all of your attention? Basically, it's Relic or Utopia. Utopia is really famous. Everyone's heard of it. Relic, probably anyone. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Not only were you, you not listening, about you, yeah. you didn't even hear the yeah. name of the exactly. show. Exactly. Exactly. Boyd wins. Oh Thank my you. god! Yeah. This is absolutely obscene. Absolutely. You are both disqualified. You no. for not listening, and you for encouraging her to not listen. <laughs> right. That is it for another disgustingly biased episode of the Pilot TV podcast. Uh, if we brought a little sunshine to the yoths in your life then please do show your appreciation by leaving us a five star review on iTunes and maybe maybe take to social media and give the podcast a shout out there as well uh, speaking of which we are available to accept your adulation or abuse at James C. Dyer at Terry underscore White and at Boyd Hilton so do follow us on there we will be back next week as Terry and Boyd enjoy their final week before season four of The Expanse arrives in December pilot out <laughs>